Revelation uh, chapter 3, we continue our journey looking at the different churches. And as I mentioned to you, basically what we're seeing is uh, God uh, challenging us as individuals, God challenging us as a, as a church, and, and even as a congregation. And as you go through the different churches, um, for the most part, God would look at the churches and he would say, hey, this is something that you're doing good, so keep it up. But then he would always say, but here's areas of improvement. Here's areas that you need to get right. And sometimes it was more severe than others because God loves us and God warns us. You know, for me as a pastor, for us as a church and all the leaders, they have that same heart that, you know, what God uh, is calling us to do is to serve you in such a way that you would go to heaven when you die, that you would know the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would be washed of your sins. And so we want you to go to heaven when you die, but you have to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And so that's our ultimate desire. We also want you to be blessed on the way, of course. You know, it's kind of like being in Noah's Ark. Imagine how that must have been being in Noah's Ark. Imagine how seasick they got. Have you guys ever gotten seasick? Or imagine how bad it stunk in the ark with all those animals and all that stuff. But the main thing is that you, you stay in the ark. And the main thing is that you stay and you abide in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because one day we'll be home and we'll finish our race. But until then, you're going to get tested. This pandemic, everything that's going on, the darkness that's being thrown our way, we're getting tested. Will we stay strong? Will we seek the Lord? Will we really have a heart for him? Because the church in Sardis is an interesting church. The Lord says, hey, I know you guys. I know you have works, and I know you have a name, but you are dead. He tells the church in Sardis that you're dead. And so there are some people that are dead. They're dead in their sins. There are some uh, churches, local congregations that are dead. They're dead. There are some denominations that started off well, you know, and now they're dead. And, and so there are some, I think even in one way we can look at it, there are areas of our, our own life that are dead. And what God wants to do today, today, is God wants to revive those areas of our life that are dead. You know, because I thank God for our church. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Bible. We are doing our best to teach His Word. And so I know there's life, and I see souls getting saved, and I see people getting strengthened. And so I know that we always have room for improvement, and we will be passionate about that, whatever that is as a church. But I know that in my own life, it's kind of like, you guys ever seen a fire, and the fire starts going out? And it starts fading, and the embers are just now glowing. And what God says is, get up and start fanning that flame, maybe adding fuel to that fire so that it can rage again for me. And we're going to see, uh, I think in many ways, these things are applicable to us as we look at Jesus' message to the church in Sardis. Lord, if there's any area of my life that is dead, that is dormant, that is dying, that needs your touch, that needs refreshment, that needs life, that needs vitality. Lord, I'm here today. I don't care how hot it is. I don't care what the setting is. I am here today to seek you. Lord, this is something that's personal between you and me. God, touch me as a Christian. Touch me as a man. Touch me as your daughter. Lord, today, give me life and that more abundantly. And that's why it's so cool to be able to go through these churches and really examine ourselves. 
And so notice what we read here in Revelation 3 and verse 1. It says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. And so we've seen this over and over again. You know, as uh, Jesus is giving a message to the churches, he gives the message through the angel. The angel is undoubtedly, you know, the pastors or teachers or elders or leaders responsible to hear from the Lord and to give to the people that he loves so much. And so he's writing this message uh, to uh, the angel. He's directing it through them, through the pastors, and he's directing it from that leadership to the fellowship. Now, in this case, it's the church in Sardis. Now, the church in Sardis would be next on the postal route. Uh, it was there in Asia Minor, about 30 miles southeast of Thyatira and 50 miles due east of Smyrna. The ancient historian Strabo called it a great city, and at one time it was having uh, been the capital of the kingdom of Lydia. It was uh, situated at the foot of a beautiful fertile valley, and it converged where there are points of inland roads. And so basically, uh, again, these uh, cities, these churches are in places where there would be a decent population and some significant things. Aesop, the famous writer of fables, was uh, there from Sardis. They say that gold and silver were first minted in Sardis, and they say the whole concept of, of, of dyeing clothing was invented there in Sardis. But probably more relevant to our study today is the fact that Sardis was located on a hill approximately 1,500 feet above the valley floor, and this hill on which Sardis was built it had smooth, nearly perpendicular rocks on three sides, kind of like those walls. And it was only from the south could the city be approached. But even that was more difficult and steep to uh, penetrate. And so in one sense, Sardis was invincible. They were, in one sense, impregnable. But what happened to Sardis, and you'll see first they were conquered by Cyrus, and later they were conquered uh, by another king, is that they let their walls down. They let their guards down. They were too confident. They thought they could never be conquered. They thought they were impregnable. And what ended up happening, and history tells us this, that um, the Cyrus came up the, the side that they thought there's no way he could do this, and they came and they, they went up the, the slopes, they came into the city, and they conquered it through the complacency and the negligence of this city. And so I, I think that's what can happen to us. Uh, before you know it, it's like the proverbial frog in the water. And, you know, he gets, he gets they, they'll throw the frog, frog in the water and they just start turning up the heat little by little and eventually the water gets too hot for the frog to make it out and he's cooked alive. Tastes good, fresh, but that happens. You know, you let your guard down. Now some people say, well, no, it can't happen to me. Uh, you know, I, I, I know the Lord, I'm impregnable, I'm in, 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 invincible. And you let your guard down, next thing you know, you're sleeping, you're slumbering. And we learn this lesson from this church that eventually died, died. You see, this is lethal. 
These are warnings to us that if you're playing church, that you got to get right with God. You can't do that. He's coming, and you don't want to be left behind. And so he writes to them, uh, this church in Sardis is an interesting history. Uh, they thought it was undefeatable, but we see that through negligence, such was not the case. And so the Lord writes to them. Notice how he presents himself again in verse 1. These things says he who has seven spirits of God and the seven stars. And so as the Lord presents himself to each church, he kind of does it uniquely because, you know, every situation, every person, every congregation, they kind of need something different. Here's a church that needed the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Here's a church that was walking in their own strength. They had caught caught up in a religion and a routine and a rut. Maybe they were very, you know, busy, a lot of work's going on. But when the Lord really looked at them, he saw, you guys are just walking in your own strength. This is he who has the seven spirits. Now, earlier in chapter 1, verse 4, when God revealed himself as giving this message, it comes from the seven spirits. And we see that cross-reference in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. Right, the seven spirits in one sense it's in reference to the Holy Spirit and the different dynamics of the Holy Spirit. But now that we see Jesus presenting himself to the church, he says, I have the Holy Spirit for you. I have the fullness of the Holy Spirit for you. You know, in Mark, in chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, uh, John the Baptist said, I baptize with water, but he who comes after me, I'm not worthy to untie his shoe. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And you look around sometimes and you wonder, what is it with that person? They say they're saved, but man, there's something missing. There's like a, there's like a daze over their life. They're almost like a zombie as a Christian. There's no fire. They don't have a heart for the lost. They don't serve. They don't give. This is like, what's wrong with them? Maybe they're saved by the skin of their teeth, but they don't have the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. And the Lord is saying, if that's you today and you're putt-putting through life, you're only running on six cylinders, I have the seven spirits of God. I have the fullness of the Holy Spirit to give unto you. Not just the seven spirits, notice the seven stars. And in Revelation chapter 1, verse 20, Jesus gave us the interpretation for the stars. Those are the pastors, those are the teachers. What, it will, what will it take for a church, for a person, for an individual, for a denomination to catch fire again, to get life again? It will take the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And when a person opens them, their heart to these things, then they will find power. They will find life, and that more abundantly. You know, I, I just pray that you're hungry for the Bible, not all the weird stuff. I mean, get informed, that's fine, but make sure you're also taking in the Bible. You know, lately, the Lord has been really impressing on my heart. Just listen to Pastor Chuck Smith. He just teaches the Bible so much wisdom. Look what God did through him. Look at the anointing of the Holy Spirit. When we first became at Calvary Chapel and, you know, Pastor Ross said, hey, would you guys like to do this? You know, of course, you're not dependent on man. You're not dependent on a name. But I did see one thing. I saw the anointing of God upon Calvary Chapel. I saw his grace upon them. I saw the Holy Spirit upon them. And I said, of course, I would love to be a part of that, not because of a man or because of a, of a, of a name, but because I see God's hand on that church. 
And that's where we have to be. You know, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what's going on in your life. But I do know that we're living in a world that man is trying to take us in all the different directions. I, I love teaching the Bible. You want to know why? Because I know that's what God wants me to do. But also because I want the Lord to build a congregation that is hungry for the Bible. Because sometimes people are not hungry for the Bible. They'll go somewhere else. That's fine. We want to feed the sheep, not the goats. And the sheep are hungry for the word. And so here's Jesus with the seven uh, spirits and the seven stars. Those are these guys that are messengers. And he's saying, you dead church, that's what you need. Before I was a Christian, to my shame, to my shame, I would get high or drunk every single day. I started when I was young. I started, and I'm not saying, you know, when I was three or four, but, you know, when I got a little older. And by the time I started, you know, at least as a freshman in high school, I can't remember a day. All the way until I was saved. I mean, we're talking like eight, nine years. Every single day, I was under the influence of things that were bad for me. Now, as a Christian, I want to be under the influence of God every single day and you can always tell when you're under the influence of the flesh because you fail because you're short-tempered because there's no power there's no passion there's no hunger you'll go ahead and feed yourself all the other things that the world has to offer some christians the movies that they watch i mean how how can we watch those things well it's because i think a lot of times we're not under the influence of the holy spirit so here's Jesus, and he's just saying, I have the seven spirits, I have the seven stars, and what Jesus does is he chooses and uses leaders, he anoints and appoints them, he protects and directs and expects the leaders to follow him and to deliver his message. And so as he loves this church, he presents himself to them, and he gives them a little bit of a commendation, not much. Look at verse 1 again, where he says, I know your works that you have a name that you are alive. And so Jesus knows our works. And um, works are, are not bad, but if you have works without a walk, they are. If you have the external things without the internal things, then it's empty. And that's what this church was. And you guys, it's very easy for us as Christians to know the routine. It's very easy for a church to start off as this great, wonderful, beautiful, amazing, supernatural, miraculous movement of God. But then what ends up happening is we just develop a routine. We become a machine, and we just go through those things. And before you know it, God leaves, and that church that at one time was used by God in such a great way only becomes a monument. And they look back at the things that God used to do, not the things that God is doing any longer. And so, you know, that was the church in Sardis. God knew their works. Jesus saw what they were doing, that they had a name, that they were alive. But the bottom line is uh, they were not really alive. And I think that we can tell. You know, I think that I can tell. I think that my wife can tell. I think that, you know, usually 
Our kids can tell, our friends can tell, our, our, our brothers can tell, our sisters can tell. When Paul went to Ephesus in the book of Acts chapter 19, he ran into these guys that said they were Christians. And the very first thing he asked them, he said, hey, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And it's like, wait a minute. I mean, why, why right off the bat? Because he saw there was something so uh, missing in their life. You know, if that's you, and, and again, you know, I don't know. I thank God that we do have a beautiful church. And I know that some of you, you really love the Lord. You're the real deal. You really are filled with the Holy Spirit. But what if some of you are not? You're not really filled with the Holy Spirit. You're not under his influence. Why not? He said, all you have to do is ask. He said that. All you have to do in Luke chapter 11 is ask for the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, do not be drunk with wine in which is a wasted life, but be under the influence and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Today you can ask, you can say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I'm getting hit hard. Lord, I'm, I feel like I'm dying inside. And you're, here you are, you see where I'm at, even though I'm kind of going through the motions and I got the works and I got the name, I got the bumper sticker, I got the t-shirt, I signed up. But Lord, you see, what does he say in verse 1? That you are dead. You are dead. I mean, one of the greatest tragedies, I think, in all history is that there are people who go to church every single week, sometimes multiple times. There are people who are involved in ministry, sometimes heavily involved in ministry, and they are dead. And some of them might look at them and they say, wow, there's something special about them. And, you know, sometimes people know how to carry themselves. They're very moral. But they're not born again. And there's no hunger for the word and there's no hunger to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so the Lord, he gives them that diagnosis. And that's pretty bad. I mean, I thought the church of Ephesus was bad because he told them that you are loveless. But this church, he says, you are lifeless. You're lifeless. You need to get back to, to this abundant life that I have for you. Don't get complacent like the city of Sardis did that thought they were impregnable, that there's no way, you know, that anything bad could happen to them, that, you know, that they could have their name blotted out of the book of life. Well, we're going to see. That's what he tells them. You can't have one foot in and one foot out. Because Jesus is going to talk about the church to Laodicea, that he will vomit them out of their mouth. And so when, when we read this, um, I know most of you here are Christians, so praise God for that. But I would also say that maybe there's areas of our life that are dead. And those things need to, need to be dealt with. Sometimes uh, I'll go outside and I'll water the plants, and I'm learning. Uh, did you guys know they have an app? Well, you can take a picture of your plant and it'll tell you what kind of plant it is and it'll tell you how to take care of it. I, I needed an app like that really bad. And I took a picture of it and you know what it said? It said, your, 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 your plant's sick. <laughs> it's even able to see like the leaves that are messed up or whatever. And so it tells you what to do. Hey, you need to deal with that and, you know, feed it this way or fertilize or cut that leaf off so it's not sapping off you know, the strength from the other part of the plant. And, and I think that 
there's also that part of our life. Sometimes uh, things are, are dead that need to be revitalized. I mean, I don't know. Have you been sharing Jesus with anybody? You used to. You used to just share Jesus with people, not the peripherals. You used to share Jesus because there's power in the name of Jesus. But you're not anymore. And God is just saying, hey, let's, let's bring that back to life. So the, what we see right here, I, I think that with his infallible knowledge, he pronounced Sardis as to be dead like many churches today. They were, you know, dead men walking. They were nominal Christians, which means they were only Christian by name. I remember when I first got saved, I remember doing a missions trip to Missouri. And I remember going and inviting everybody to this outreach that we were going to have. And I was just 22 years old. And this is the Bible Belt. And so you go over there to the Bible Belt, everybody thinks they're a Christian because their family's, you know, Christian. And uh, I remember just even one time, you know, inviting, hey, you guys want to come to a, a, a Christian event? We're going to have a concert, things like that. You know, and these guys, they're, they're only Christian by name. And, and so what we see is that what was going on in Sardis. It can happen. The Methodist Church, some of you guys know, uh, was started. I mean, not that the, he did it, but his, eventually the congregation, they started the Methodist Church uh, through the work of John Wesley. Now, when you read the life of John Wesley, man, homeboy was on fire. He was on spot. He would just share the gospel with, with thousands of people, hundreds of people. It, him, like Paul said, for me to live is Christ. I mean, it was just his life. It was his passion. The church started off so well. But as time progresses, just like it can happen to anybody, you know, they, they begin to meander. Next thing you know, um, they're ordaining. Not, they're not just uh, approving of, you know, gay marriage. They're ordaining gay pastors. They're ordaining gay priests. Very, very, very benevolent. They're just rich with all the works of men, all the social activities that you can imagine they're involved in. But they're dead. Not all of them. Not all of them. Some of them are right on. But what ends up happening a lot of times is these churches, they start branching off. Next thing you know, the Anglicans. Next thing you know, the Presbyterians. Next thing you know, the Lutherans. They all started off so well. But what ended up happening is a portion of them began to die. And the Lord is saying it can happen to a congregation. It can happen to a local congregation or a denomination. It can happen to an individual and I believe that it can also happen to parts of an individual. And so the Lord is just saying, hey, uh, Manny, just to let you know, that part of your life is dying. And you need to address it. You need to address it. And so we read in verse 2, he says, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. And so, Lord, show me. Show me. I have blind spots. I mean, I get so embarrassed sometimes when I'm driving and I get over to the right or the left and someone honks their horn and gives me the one-way sign or something, you know. 
and oh, what's wrong with you? And I, I, I'm, you know, and you guys are probably better drivers than me, but I think that we can have blind spots. And so what do we need to do? We need to watch. We need to wake up. That's what that Greek word literally means. Wake up from your sleep to watch. Jesus is coming. Watch. God is working. The enemy is coming against you. You need to be watchful. Give strict attention. Be cautious. Lest some sort of calamity come upon you. The, the Greek word, it literally means to wake up from the sleep, even rise from the dead. And I think, well, of course, we all can get sleepy, right? We all can get tired. We all can get weary. You know, in my house, it's kind of a drag. I like to wake up early, but that also means I like to go to bed early. And so a lot of times we'll put a movie on. It's like 9.30, 10 o'clock, and it's almost like clockwork. Man, I start falling asleep. Do you guys ever do that? Or is it just me? You know, uh, and that's okay probably to do um, in one sense. Maybe I need to take a siesta, a nap on. That'll probably help me. But... Um, it's not okay to do spiritually. Are you in the word? Are you on your knees? Are you being obedient? Are you watching? Are you asking God to show you what the enemy's trying to do in your life? Are you asking God to show you what he's trying to do in your life? You have to wake up. You have to watch. Like I said earlier, this, the city of us, this city right here of Sardis was uh, conquered first time by the Persians and the second time by Antiochus the Great. They felt so secure in their walls that they didn't watch and therefore failed to see. So the Lord said, number one, watch. Number two, strengthen. Strengthen the things which remain. They're still there, Manny, but they're just kind of like hanging on by a thread. Maybe it's your prayer life. Maybe you're like, well, yeah, I do pray when I eat. I do pray a little bit here and there. And God is saying to you, strengthen your prayer life. Or maybe it's your devotions. Maybe there's other areas of your life that God wants you to strengthen. The word, it means to make stable or firm. It means a church needs to be have God's ability for stability. And so as a general description, they were dead, but there were some people or some things that remained that were still alive. There's always a remnant, right? But they were very vulnerable. It was dangerous, and they were ready to die. And so Jesus said here that they needed to watch, they needed to be strengthened, and the beautiful thing is this, that it's not your strength. It's not how much you can bench, it's how much you believe. It's not how much you can lift. It's whether or not you lift your eyes to the Lord. We can walk in the strength of God. And that's what he's talking about here. You know, Christ exhorted the Christians to fan into flame the dying embers and to strengthen those things that remain. You know, Philippians 4.13, you guys know it, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What we see thirdly, God tells them to do is to remember. Remember, therefore, he says in verse 3, how you have received and heard. How did you receive salvation? How did you receive the Holy Spirit? How did it happen? Remember, remember when the word of God came to you? Remember how you believed you know, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 3, it says, You having begun in the Spirit, are, now you, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? 
It's like you hear the word and you believe. And you believe that the Holy Spirit is available for you. You believe in everything, heaven and hell and the power of the gospel. And you go out and your feet are beautiful because you're not just sitting at home. You're going out. You're stepping out. You're sharing Jesus with people. Remember how you started as a Christian? For some of you here, maybe it was a beautiful thing. It was a honeymoon period. I know for me, I'll never forget those early days. I'll never forget. And every time I go to pray, I'll be honest with you. I'm going to share with you guys. When I go and I spend time with the Lord and I get on my knees, I just remember how he saved me. I'll never forget what he did. And it's like I feel like it was yesterday. And I will never forget that, what God did in my life. But sometimes people end up forgetting. Sometimes people don't remember how, how it was, how it wasn't you earning God's love. It wasn't you and your works-oriented relationship. It wasn't you dotting every I and crossing every T and every legalistic thing that comes your way. It was you believing. That's how you received. You heard the word, and your faith was activated. Why do we complicate it? That's how things die. That's how, you know, churches become machines. He says, remember how you heard. Remember these things. By faith, they had received the Holy Spirit. And he tells them to hold fast. Notice again what we read in verse 3. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard and hold fast. You know, it's like we have to have this vice grip for victory and never let go. Listen, I believe with all my heart that Jesus holds us. I believe that with all my heart. But I also believe with all my heart that I hold him. That he will never let me go. But I must never let him go. I must never let the Bible go. I must never let this walk that I have, this call that I have, to light that fire, I must never let it go. And I'm reminded of the story in the book of Ruth, and you guys might remember the story where Naomi was there in Moab, and her husband had died, and her two sons had died, and she was left with her two daughter-in-laws, and the Lord laid it on her heart to go back to Israel because she found out that there was bread there again in Israel, and so she was going to go back to God. She was going to go back to the people of God. She was going to go back to the word of God. And as she was there, her daughter-in-laws, they had a choice of whether or not they would go with her. And you guys might remember the story as they're there and they're both, you know, they love her. And, you know, there's a certain aspect of emotional attachment to her. You guys might remember that her two daughter-in-laws were there. And this was the decision of their life. Here it was, the decision of their life. And the Bible says in Ruth chapter 1, verse 14, Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And I think there are a lot of Christians that do a lot of kissing. They do a lot of lip service. They say the right things. They know the right things to say. There is that, you know, that verbal commitment. But Orpah, she didn't go. 
She stayed in Moab, and she missed the opportunity of her life. Ruth, she didn't just kiss her. She clung to her, and she went to Israel, and she became uh, the grandmother of King David. Um, she got a, a, a book of the Bible named after her. God has great things for you. Do you understand that? You know, not for your greatness, not for your glory, but for his. He wants to do things that are deep, things that will last, things that are eternal, but only if we hold fast to the truth. The Bible talks about clinging to what is good. And to me, that's Jesus. That's what he's telling this church. I mean, there are areas of my life that are dying, and God says, Manny, listen, I want you to do all these things, and I want you to repent. That's the last thing he says right here. It's a change of mind that leads to a genuine change of heart and actions. And there are so many ways that we can change. Like I told you earlier, you get with God, and he'll start, start telling you things, and the list never ends. You know, I was just thinking about something so um, base. But, you know, I, I know for myself, God's saying, hey, you got to be, be a better husband. You have to be a better dad. I fall short so much as a pastor, as a son, as a friend. And he'll give me the divine details, little things, big things. Sometimes when I'm here at the ministry and I go home, you know, I'm thinking, okay, when I get home, I already got my day planned. I'm going to work out and I'm going to go work on this project and you know, I'm going to do this other thing over here on the side. And the whole time, you know, I'm thinking about what I want to do rather than asking God what he wants me to do. And then eventually God gets a hold of my heart and he says, what about your wife? You want to go home and work out? You want to go home and do that project? You want to go home and read and do all this ministry stuff? And your wife has been waiting for you all day long. What about her? What about talking to her? What about walking with her? What about spending time with her? He'll show you the details, how we need to not only have a change of mind, but also a change of heart and a change of actions. Things that are dying. Some marriages are dying. Some relationships are dying. Some callings are dying. And God says, no, I have a calling for you. I want you to, to bring this back to life. This is what he's telling the church in Sardis. He says, listen, if you don't, look at verse 3. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. And so, in one sense, last week, and I'm sorry, you guys, I know it's hot. You guys are hanging in there, though. Last week, we talked about the Catholic Church. This week, we talked about the Protestant Church, the dead Protestant Church. When the rapture comes, they're going to get left behind. And that's what he's saying. I'm going to come upon you unannounced. You won't even know it. It's going to be a surprise. As a thief, you're going to lose things. That's what he's saying. Unless you get right. That's what he's telling them. You know, the, the positive things are so beautiful. Look at verse 4. You have a, a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before 
his angels. I don't know where you're at, but you ask the Lord. I'll ask the Lord. You don't have to look to the right. You don't have to look to the left. You don't look to the person behind you or in front of you. Just search your own heart. Are there any areas of your life that are dying? Are you dying? Do you really know Jesus? Are you sure? If not, if you're not sure, make sure today. He's here. He's here. He's knocking on your heart. You have to surrender to him. If you're a Christian and you haven't surrendered, you got to give it up. you got to get real. And what we see here is the Lord says, if you do, that day that I taught you is August 8th, 2020. You knew it, and I knew it. I was there. You were there. And you got right with me. You bowed your knees, and you confessed with your tongue that Jesus is Lord. He says, and if you overcome, and he says, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and that defiled is like stained. Remember talking earlier about how they were able to dye their, their clothing. Here it says, you guys who have not defiled your garments, but you shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. They who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. And you know, um, I don't know, you may be here today, you might think, well, I don't look good in white. It makes me look heavier. Or something. I don't know. Or that. Don't worry. In heaven, you're going to look great in white, especially these special garments. Now, again, um, I believe when we're going through all these things that these are literal, actual things. I know a lot of it has to do with being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Um, but there's something special about this white garment. Here was a church that was working... They were working supposedly for Jesus, but they were not walking with Jesus. Their works were not complete. Their works were not right. Their works, there was something about them that wasn't motivated by love. But here we see the Lord says, you can't work for me unless you walk with me. And if you overcome and if you get this right and you start walking with me, they're on heaven, they're on earth then I'll give you that white robe and garment and we will walk together. And you know how it is. If you ever go walking with people, you know how intimate that is, how beautiful that is. And that's what Jesus says. I'll do that with you. It's not just a general description of salvation. I believe it's more. Who knows? Maybe there'll be a special hike for us. You know, it's interesting, in those days, in ancient times, such garments were worn for celebrations and festivals. And here we see that because they refused to defile their garments, Christ would replace those humanly preserved clean garments with divinely pure ones. And the white robes of purity Christ promises here, and in verse 5, are also worn by him and by the angels. And so those who have a measure of holiness and purity now will be given perfect holiness and purity in the future. 
He says right there in verse 5, He overcomes, shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. Oh, man. There are many books to think about. You know, thank God for, for the Bible. To me, that's the, the book. But this book right here, the book of life, is so important. You know, you want to make sure that your name is there. Every city in those days, they would have the registrar, and they would have, if you were a citizen of that city, your name would be there. But this book of life is one in which when the individual stands before God, the, the white throne judgment, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And so... I don't know what your theology is. A lot of times people, they have this soteriology. They believe one saved, always saved. Or others uh, have a different theology. I don't know. You can call yourself whatever you want, a Calvinist or Arminianist or whatever it is. But I just read this at, at face value. There's an if. If you overcome, Jesus says, I won't blot your name out of the book of life. And that's why, you know, to me, I, I guess I've always had that, that mentality, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be careful. I'm not going to mess around. I'm not going to start, you know, saying, well, I can do whatever I want because I'm covered and, you know, I'm eternally secure. I, I've always loved what Pastor Chuck said. I'm eternally secure as I abide in Jesus Christ, as I rest in him. And as I get tested, and I'm going to get tested, and the enemy's going to come, and it's going to be like a flood, and he's going to try to take me down. He's going to try to take you down. But what do you do? You lift your eyes. You fall to your knees. You search your heart. You get real. You get right. And you overcome. And as you overcome, God says, listen, not only will I not blot your name out of the book of life, I will clothe you in these amazing white robes. And, and you guys remember when Jesus was transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration? Uh, I, I was so cool. Their clothing was white, uh, whiter than any launder on, on earth, uh, whiter than the snow. It was dazzling. It was radiant. We'll have that one day, and we'll be walking with him. And so what does God say? He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Some people have an ear. They have an ear. They're listening. They're listening. And as it goes in and they hear the message, the, the, the Hebrew word Shema, to hear, the Shema, it's more than just hearing with our ears. It's hearing to the point of living these things. And so I pray um, all of us, you guys, that we would have that grace to be able to respond wherever we're at today. I want to pray for all of you, if it's okay, that we'll all receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit today. I want you guys to be praying for each other as we do this. And that today... Maybe we could call it like a tent revival. <laughs> Maybe, huh? 
could do something like that. You come here, and then you go out there, and it's not you anymore. It's not just you. Because you believe God touched you. And if you're here and you're not a Christian yet, or if you don't know whether or not you're a Christian, believe right now. Jesus, the name of all, above all names, Jesus died for you on a cross. He rose again. Jesus, the Lord of your life, the Lord and Savior of your life, believe on him today.